Good morning, church. That, uh, I know it's only two songs, but that's some good worship. Amen. Um, it could be a punch to the gut. <laughs> it could be just a timely reminder. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, the whole idea of uh, the refiner's fire, right? I think when we begin to realize... <clears throat> how this relationship with Jesus Christ and us works. That's all part of it, right? The refiner's fire is an ongoing thing. It's a daily thing being refined in him. And, um, you know, he's just, he's getting out all the junk, you know, so that when it's our time to go be with him, we're going to be ready, <laughs> you know, or, or, or if he tarries and, and he returns before we pass on, we're going to be ready to be caught up with him and be in heaven forever. Forever, Amen? Amen. I hear that. Um, speaking of refiner's fire, I have a quick update for the church. Just kind of want to let you guys, because uh, we are transparent here, and we are transparent when it comes to finances. Um, we, don't, we don't withhold or hide anything as far as the books and the numbers. But uh, the church... Uh, we uh, decided as a leadership, we gave $3,000 to Samaritan's Purse uh, this Thursday to help out with relief efforts uh, with everything going on in Ukraine. Uh, Samaritan's Purse has hands and feet there. And, um, you know, again, I speak of the, uh, the refiner's fire. It's just so, it's not ironic. It's just the Lord, right? But the Lord definitely spoke to me because, you know, this is something. Now, I, I wasn't on my knees praying about it all crazy, but, you know, I was in my bed Wednesday night. And I was reminded of First uh, John 3, 8. And it says, little children, let us not love in word and in talk, but in deed and in truth. Sorry, I have to unmute this. So uh, well, actually, it's unmuted. The Zoom. But I was reminded of that verse. And, and it was it was interesting because earlier in the week, that was one of the verses of the day. And, you know, I, I do I share these verses in the morning with my children before I leave. And we have a little exhortation real quick and I pray with them. And I was trying to explain to them both, you know, you could say God bless you. And that's a good thing. But what, what happens when God bless you isn't necessarily enough when your neighbor needs help? And you just say, God bless you, but you don't get your hands dirty and get in there and, and help them with what they need when you have the means to do so. Are we really loving? You see, love is a verb, right? Love is an action word in the biblical sense. It's not just this mushy feeling, right? We serve out of obedience. We don't serve out of mushy feelings towards Jesus Christ. What if, what if Jesus Christ just loved us by word only, Right? Think about that for a minute. Let that really sink in. What if Jesus Christ said, I love you, God bless you, you're my children, but he never went to the cross and he never died for our sins and raised from the dead. What kind of love is that? But you see, we serve a mighty, a righteous, a holy, a trustworthy God that's so long-suffering and sacrificial that he modeled love by how he actually lived and what he did. You see, I was reminded of this. And it's the middle of the night, and I'm just like, okay, Lord, where are you going with this? And then I was reminded of the widow's mites, right? 
small amount of money. But she gave. She gave out of a heart that was pure, out of an intention that was right. And then I was reminded of the little boy with the five loaves of barley bread and the two fish. And I, like I said, I don't think this stuff up. I don't, I don't, I'm not convoluting a situation with God. And then all of a sudden this number 3,000 came to me. Not 30,000, not 20,000, not 10,000, not 250, not $1,000, but $3,000. And what I believe what the Lord was showing me was when we give with the right heart and with the good intention, he can multiply that $3,000 a hundredfold. I don't know how he's going to work it out. And I know that we are interceding for Ukraine and we're interceding for Russia and we're interceding for souls around the world, right? That's, That's us as the church. But he showed me that. The local church, we should be getting our hands dirty. And this was something I couldn't shake. So Thursday morning rolled around. I sent out a text message to the leadership. I said, man, pray about it. This is what I believe the Lord showed me. If you are in agreement, we will move forward with it. I got the confirmation, and that's, uh, that's what we did. But I just wanted to leave you or share that with you because that's, that's where we're at with that. And, uh, you know, obviously we need to continue to pray for the people of Ukraine and, and again, the people of Russia. There's a, there's a lot going on. People in China, people here in Milpitas and San Jose, there's just a lot happening. I think the harvest is ripe for souls to be uh, received by the Lord. But uh, the church, right, we need to do our due diligence. Amen. All right. Um, this morning we're in Revelation uh, chapter 8. We'll be going through verses 1 through 5 this morning. So if you uh, get there or when you get there, excuse me, could you please stand if you're able and body to for the reading of God's word. And then we'll go ahead and pray and get into our message this morning. Once again, Revelation chapter 8 verses 1 down through 5. I've entitled this message, The Seventh Seal and the Golden Censer. All right, we're starting in verse 1, and it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the, of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder rumbling flashes of lightning and an earthquake let's go ahead and pray heavenly father lord god our our aim and our goal is to please you lord we ask that you would help us lord to silence our hearts before you to be still before you to listen to your voice lord and we pray that you would give us the ability now as we all have the holy spirit living inside of us that we would give way to what you want to do, what you want to say. May you help us to rightly divide your word. May you reveal to us the wisdom in it for us this morning. May you show us how we can apply these principles to our lives. May we take it serious what is going on here in this portion of Scripture, as in all Scripture. And may, Lord, we benefit from gleaning from your truth. 
Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. All right. So last week, we looked at how a great multitude from every tribe, culture, language, and tongue will be saved during the Great Tribulation. That was a beautiful thing. Many people will come to Jesus Christ, though there will be a lot of difficult things going on in the world like the world has never seen. Uh, we, we, we learned how they were clothed. They will be clothed in white robes, which is uh, basically being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, made clean by uh, the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. These saints would be the last saved before the final judgment and the destruction of earth. Not Mother Earth, just earth. <laughs> we got all that whimsical stuff coming in here. Father time and uh, come on now. No, we don't do that. <laughs> it's the earth that God made and that's about it. I don't even want to get into it. I'll talk to somebody after the service. It's crazy stuff though when uh, people getting cremated now. They're trying to put, I'm saying it anyways. <laughs> they got something where they're putting your ashes into the earth. <laughs> and they're saying that you're giving back to the next generation. What? What are you talking about? And it's, uh, it's, it's earth worship. It's earth worship. It's worshiping Mother Earth. So don't get yourself cremated and go back into the earth thinking that, uh, you know, you're doing some benefit to uh, <laughs> the next generation. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. But remember, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is the only one worthy to open the scrolls, seven seals. We know that from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And every single judgment has been entrusted to the Son. The first six seals unleashed unprecedented judgment on the earth during the tribulation period. The sixth seal causes people from every part of society to hide in caves and call to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it. That's Revelation chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. That's what we learned last week. Today, we will be looking at the seventh seal and what will go on in the heavenly realm before it is opened by Jesus Christ. It is the calm before the storm, if you will. And that's where we're at in our text this morning. We have several main points. And the first one is this, a great silence in heaven is a sign that something terrible will soon take place upon the earth. We must remember that in heaven, right? When you get this, this, this concept or this idea of, of what heaven will be like, there will be constant praise and worship of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Excuse me. I, I think I alluded to this a couple weeks ago when I talked about in hell. There's nothing but going to be cursing and blaspheming of the name Jesus Christ. Every soul, every being that is in hell will have nothing good to say. And it will, that in itself will torment a soul, hearing nothing but utter blasphemous words to the Lord and Savior. On the flip side, in heaven, there's going to be nothing but praise, <laughs> nothing but adoration, nothing but glory and glory to God alone. 
So, you know, you think of your, you know, you go to a, a worship service, you think of that on steroids times an infinite number. And that's what it's going to be like being in the presence of the true and living God and having people around you, beings, spirits around you, a- angels around you, all created worshiping the true and living God. So that, that's, that's what you kind of see, you know, what our finite minds can, can come to, to understand of what heaven will be like. Mouths will be filled with praise continuously. So for us to read in scripture that there was complete silence for a half an hour. That's serious. <laughs> that's crazy. So a place that's infinite and, and, and for all, it's ongoing praise and worship. It's like the party of all parties and for it to be dead silent for a half an hour. It's a big deal. An example of this is, do you remember who, who, who was a young child and ever broke something? Did touch something they weren't supposed to touch? <laughs> Went into some cupboard and grabbed something they weren't supposed to grab? Went into some family member's bedroom and grabbed something off the dresser they weren't supposed to grab? And all of a sudden, something shattered. Something broke. I think we've all been there, right? We've all done something and grabbed something and took something and played with something we weren't supposed to. And it was a bad turnout. In that instance, what did you probably do? Cried? Maybe scream? (laughs) Maybe for some of us, just that immediate instant of seeing something happen like that, you probably froze up. Huh? (laughs) It got real quiet. (laughs) Trying to figure out what. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? I don't want to get beat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but you, you think about it. It's silly, right? It's a silly ex- ex- example. But why? Why would, why would a young child freeze up? Because they recognized the great severity at what had just happened. And they recognized the consequences that are to come. <laughs> they really do. You see, this is what's going on here. The realization of the great severity of mankind's rejection of Jesus Christ. Scripture does not specifically give us the reasons for the silence in heaven for that half an hour. But here is one very relevant possibility. The silence in heaven is due to the severity of the actions the Lord God is about to take. Meaning, With the scroll fully open, heaven can now see the trumpet judgments. Seventh, have different angels, seven nearby angels, and actually eight are handed trumpets of judgment and the bold judgments. These judgments are more terrible than anything the world has ever seen. Mark chapter 13, verses 19 down through 20 reads, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So we see clearly that this is a very serious matter that's going on. You see, the final catastrophes are about to fall upon the earth and silence and stillness fill that time of tense expectation. And so we have that half hour of silence in heaven. Zechariah 
chapter 2, verse 13 tells us, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Again, as I mentioned earlier, in a way, the silence in heaven could be looked at as the calm before the storm, the storm of final judgment coming upon the earth. The silence emphasizes the importance and the impressiveness of the seventh and final seal. With the opening of the seventh seal comes a climax in the day of the Lord. Evil has had its day, and now the Lord will have his day. That's our first main point. All right, the second main point is this. The sounding of trumpets signifies God is going to war against those who oppose him and his people. And when you think of a trumpeteer, one of the things that comes to mind is that they are used to make a great pronouncement, like the entrance of royalty, for example. These trumpets are no different. It's just that the pronouncements are of a different type. I think of when I was when I was studying and when I read this now, I, I think of Robin Hood, the, the, the Disney Robin Hood. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, what is his name? Some of Loxley or whatever. And, you know, the, the elephants they're you know, they're, or the rhinos, they're they're blowing the trumpets. But they're 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 pronouncing that royalty is coming through. And then, you know, Robin Hood's going to do his thing. But that's what we get when we see these judge, uh, the, these uh, these trumpets. Each one, each trumpet pronounces a different judgment upon the earth during the great tribulation. The contrast of the silence in heaven compared to the great roar of these trumpets must have been deafening to the Apostle John and and, and quite alarming for him to witness this, this dead silence for a half an hour. And then all of a sudden these seven trumpets coming out and each angel blowing the trumpet and each trumpet, uh, you know, coming out with another judgment from the Lord. Man, that must have been just a wild thing for him to witness. As you see within the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets which will be blown. And again, like I said, each one will pronounce a different type of judgment on the earth. And they will intensify as each trumpet is blown. And when you look a little closer at these opening verses in chapter 8, it seems that the blowing of these trumpets is a response to the saints offering prayers to God. The Lord, in response to the prayers of the martyrs who were killed during the great tribulation, he vindicates his people with the blowing of these trumpets. God is judging the people of the earth and bringing vindication for his people all in one. And that's our second main point. And the last main point for this morning is this. The prayers of the martyred saints are answered with the blowing of the seven trumpets. This is how they are Uh, again, answer the prayers that have been prayed by these saints that have died. Have you ever longed to be vindicated from some kind of false accusation or wrongdoing against you? Have you ever experienced that where someone just marred your character and spread gossip and rumors about you? And you're like, that's not me. That's not who I am. You guys have twisted and contorted. You've come up with some kind of lie and you're trying to Wreck who I am, the character of who I am. Well, this is what these tribulation saints were going through just on a very more intense, severe level. Remember, they were wrongfully killed and were told to wait for the Lord to avenge their deaths. The smoke rising from burnt incense represents the prayers of God's people. 
the eighth angel fills the censer with the fire from the altar and hurls it down to the earth. The altar represents sacrifice for sinners and fire represents judgment. We must understand because Jesus, God's lamb, was sacrificed on the cross for our sins, God withholds his judgment from us as believers because we've humbled ourselves. We've recognized that we're errant sinners and we need salvation and forgiveness. Roman chapter 8 verse 1 explains, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a, a, a beautiful like just reminder and a... And a <laughs> I'm good. I'm okay. I'm in Christ. That means I don't have to face condemnation. But in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5, judgment on sinners follows the altar of sacrifice. Those who remained unbelievers prior to the tribulation had rejected Christ's atonement and must now experience God's righteous judgment. The tribulation judgments offer a stern warning for all today who harden their hearts against the Savior who is Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 1 tells us, He who is often reproved, meaning trying to be corrected, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Man, those are some wise words. If we're continually being corrected, that's what the scripture says, but we're stiffening our necks and saying, no, no, I don't want the correction, we can actually look forward to suddenly being broken beyond repair. That is so scary. That's that whole, I'm going to dabble with sin (laughs) or get as close as I can get to sin, but not get burned and see how long I can get away with it. You know, I can speak from firsthand experience. You don't want to go down that road. It's only by the mercy of God and his grace that I stand before you today. I should be someone that is broken beyond repair for years that I have had lived in sin. But yet the Lord was merciful upon me. So the whole point is today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and look at these verses and we'll start with verse one. In Revelation chapter 8, and it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We see this first part of this statement, when he opened the seventh seal. The sealed scroll was introduced in Revelation chapter 5. And the seals were opened one by one up to the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6. We've gone over this in prior weeks. We waited for the last seal to be opened and the contents of the scroll to be revealed. But then we were given a pause, a brief pause in Revelation chapter 7. This was the revealing of the 144,000 and the great multitude that were saved out of the great tribulation. Again, we know the 144,000 are Jews from the tribes of the 12 tribes of uh, Israel. They're not uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or any other group of people. We know this for a fact. Now, the idea of a pause between the sixth and the seventh seal is emphasized by this silence in heaven for about a half an hour. This silence, again, is striking. And some uh, commentators have seen it as a breathing space or that the angels are silent so prayers of the saints can be heard. Perhaps even the cry of the martyrs that we've read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 down through 11. But scripture does not specifically Give us a reason for the silence in heaven for that half an hour. 
But here are some valid possibilities. And I don't claim to be uh, having perfect wisdom in any of this. These are just some uh, examples that I believe line up with Scripture. Silence in heaven for the space of half an hour is a sign of deep respect and awe in the presence of the judge of all the earth. You think about it. An earthly courtroom, just like an earthly courtroom demands silence when the judge is presiding, so does the heavenly courtroom. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 7 says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 tells us, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Silence is a big deal. The half hour silence in heaven is the result of somber reflection on what has just been revealed. When Jesus Christ breaks the seventh seal, the scroll of God's judgment is fully revealed for the first time. Now all heaven can see God's plan to judge the wickedness of the earth, destroy the kingdom of the beast, and set things right. All heaven remains silent as God's righteousness is on display. And we see this statement of silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Again, we look at this and if you think about it, a half an hour silence is not long. But things seem to be longer or shorter in their context. For example, if I was to stop this sermon right now, <laughs> and, and me, of all people, be quiet for 10 minutes. It's 10, it's 10.07 right now. And if I was quiet for 10 minutes right now, I didn't say anything. That would seem like an eternity. In its context, right? Well, that's what's going on here in heaven. Since heaven is a place of constant praise and worship to God, silence for a half an hour is a very, very long time. The application is this. Silence before God demonstrates humility and a deep sense of respect and awe of God. Think about it this way. Even in our prayer lives, right? In our prayer lives, do we just go before the Lord and start rattling off words, blindly requesting things from Him? Or do we, I think she said no. <laughs> or do we quiet our hearts and be still before Him? Before we even start communicating. Right. That, that's a measure of are we growing? Are we maturing in our Christian walk? Right. Because it's it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and really <laughs> reveal to us what we should be praying for. You know, sometimes we do have the right idea, but, you know, the right idea in the wrong context or in the wrong space is still the wrong thing. And we need to silence ourselves before the Lord, to be still before the Lord, allow his presence to come upon us and guide us. Amen. In the right direction as we pray. This is something that's very important. An example of this is, you know, we're, we're teaching Kalos this very principle at home. You know, he's, he's just so quick to, 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 to talk. And I guess he gets it from me for sure. You know, 
but he's, you know, he's just rambling off words and rattling off words in his prayer. They're like, son, do you understand who you're talking to? Do you understand what you're praying about? You know, it's a lot. It's like, oh, thank you for this toy. Thank you for this and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, those things are cool, but son, we're doing a Bible study. <laughs> you need to understand, you need to thank the Lord for him revealing this truth to you and, and giving you the opportunity to have your soul saved. And silence is a very important skill to learn. And like I said, trust me, I am, I am learning this every day, just how to be silent and just how, how, to, how to be quiet. Sometimes it's very difficult for me <laughs> to, 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 to not say anything. You know, that happens a lot with spouses. Someone's got to talk. <laughs> Someone else got to listen. My wife is always like, you're formulating your rebuttal. You're not listening to me. Right? So men, if, we're, if you're guilty of that, don't form your rebuttal. Listen to your wife. Wives, listen to your husband. And then let the Holy Spirit show you what you got to say. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 7 tells us, A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Clearly, we see this reflected here in heaven before these terrible judgments are going to fall upon the earth. All right, Revelation chapter 8, verse 2. It says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Okay, the apostle John saw seven angels stand before God and receive seven trumpets. Now these trumpets, as we learn later, signal catastrophes that occur upon the earth. It is significant that the seven angels do not begin the judgments without the receiving of the trumpets. And this is important because, I'll tell you right now, the application is this. Only God has the authority to judge sinners. So he gives the trumpets to the seven angels. They have to get the call first. They have to get, this is what's going down. Now you may do it. It's not they just go off on their own. The judgments that follow the trumpet blast are meant to be especially significant to the nation of Israel. For those Jews who follow the dictators, the dictates, excuse me, of the false prophet. Matthew chapter 24 verses 11 and 12 confirm this. And it says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will go, grow cold. Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 through 8 also speak about this. Speaks of those who at that time on this earth will worship the beast and the dragon. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Next we see that Israel would for sure be familiar with trumpets. You see trumpets summon the nation to assembly calling upon soldiers to prepare for war and signaled the beginning of festivals. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 predicts that the blowing of a trumpet will alert Israel to the approaching day of the Lord. And I'll read that verse and it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. Isaiah chapter 27 verse 13 promises that a great trumpet will summon Jews to leave their dispersion and return to Jerusalem to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 27 verse 13 reads, And in 
that day a great trumpet trumpet excuse me will be blown and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. And Matthew chapter 24, I'm just sharing these verses because again, I'm trying to show you or the Lord, excuse me, is trying to reveal that all these things come into play and they all support one another. Matthew chapter 24, verse 31 echoes this promise. Jesus said, And he will send out his angels, and with a loud trumpet call, they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Amen. Lastly, we see seven trumpets were given to the angels. We're, we're, we're looking at the, the, nu- the numeration, the number. The first use of the number seven in the Bible relates to creation work in Genesis chapter 1. God spends, what, six days, right, creating the heaven and the earth and then rests on the seventh day. This is our template, if you will, for seven-day weeks observed around the world to this day. We have seven days in a week. That's just how it goes. The seventh day was to be set apart for Israel. The Sabbath was a holy day of rest. We know this from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Right at the start of the Bible, the number seven is identified with something being finished or completed. From then on, the association continues as seven is often found in context involving completeness or divine perfection. So we see the command for animals to be at least seven days old before being used for sacrifice. You can find that in Exodus chapter 22 verse 30. The command for Naaman, remember Naaman, he was super prideful. Naaman, go bathe in the Jordan River seven times to be effectually and completely cleansed. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. And the command for Joshua, remember Joshua? March around Jericho for seven days and on the seventh day make seven circuits and have the seven priests blow seven trumpets outside the city walls that's in joshua chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 in these instances seven six signifies a completion of some kind a divine mandate is fulfilled now this is a fact about the book of revelation the number of seven the number seven excuse me is used more than 50 times in a variety of contexts. There are seven letters to seven churches in Asia and seven spirits before God's throne. That's Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. Seven golden lampstands. That's Revelation chapter 1 verse 12. Seven stars in Christ's right hand. That's Revelation chapter 1 verse 16. Seven seals of God's judgment. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. Seven angels with seven trumpets. We're going over that right now this morning. Again, the number seven represents completeness or totality. The seven churches represent the completed work of the body of Christ. The seven seals on the scroll represent the fullness of God's punishment of a sinful earth. And of course, the book of Revelation itself with all its sevens is the capstone of the word of God to man. It is the complete revelation of God to the world before this world is annihilated and We go off to be in the new heaven and the new earth. With the book of Revelation, the word is complete. 
in all, the number seven is used in the Bible more than 700 times. If we also include words related to seven, like sevenfold or 70 or 700, the count is higher. And have that much time, I can't tell you how many times. Maybe Daniel might know, I don't know. <laughs> of course, not every instance of the number seven in the Bible carries a deep significance. Sometimes a seven is just a seven. And we must be cautious about attaching symbolic meaning to any text, especially when the scripture is not explicit about such meanings. That's how you get people that get all weird about it. And, you know, I heard a teaching on this, uh, you know, earlier this week, and they're talking about, you know, if you're going around and you're like, you see a demon everywhere. <laughs> the pastor was like, man, you probably got a demon in you and you need to get prayed for because you know what? You should be seeing the Holy Spirit more than you see in demons. And people be getting all crazy about it. Now demons do exist. And we know that occult stuff is real. And we know that there's spiritual warfare going on. <laughs> but he was saying, you know, if you're just seeing all this, then man, where's your focus? Why are you not seeing Christ? <laughs> and it's the same thing here with, uh, with the symbolism of the number seven. Sometimes it just means seven. And other times there, there are different uh, ramifications for what it means in the word of God. However, there are times when it seems that God is communicating the idea of divine completeness, perfection, and wholeness by means of the number seven. And that's what we see here in this portion of scripture with the, uh, the, uh, the different um, <clears throat> seals and the trumpets that are about to be blown. Okay, this is our last portion of the text right here. We're going to be looking at verses 3 and 5 for the rest of our time this morning. And it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Okay, here we see there's another angel in the mix. First we see the seven that are given the seven trumpets. Now we see an additional angel, which makes eight. Now again, I am not a genius on this. I'm just sharing what the Lord has revealed to me, and, I, and I'm putting out there information, and it's for you to decipher with the Holy Spirit leading you. Some see this angel as Jesus functioning as a mediator and because the Old Testament refers to Jesus as the angel of the Lord. Others say it could only be a mere angelic being because the specific ancient Greek word for another means another of the same kind. So this is not something to, you know, debate about. This is just, again, sometimes... The word of God does not give us specific details about every single thing. Now, you can read all kind of commentaries and come up to your with your own understanding of what you think it is. I'm just putting that out there. That's what I've come to find in my time of studying. Next, we see a golden censer and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascending before God. Okay, prayers and incense are often connected in the Bible. The idea is that just as incense, uh, incense is precious, pleasant, and drifts to heaven, so do our prayers. So here before anything happens at the opening of the seventh seal, the prayers of God's people come before the Lord God. So the Lord is hearing what is happening 
with these saints and the prayers that they're praying to him, that are being requested to him. Significantly, the prayers of God's people set in motion the coming completion of history. More potent, more powerful than all the darkness and mighty powers let loose in the world, more powerful than anything else is the power of prayer set ablaze by the fire of God cast upon the earth. Second Peter chapter 3 verses 10 through 12 shows us that there is a sense in which we can hasten the Lord's coming by our holy conduct and godly living. And I'll read that portion of scripture for you. Second Peter chapter 3 verses 10 down through 12 and it says, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the hasting and the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. That's pretty graphic and to the point of what's going on with that whole situation. And we see that this is, this is all brought about by the prayers of the saints. Prayers of those that are longing for righteousness, longing to see the Lord vindicate not only themselves, but those around us. I mean, I'm sure you look at the news and you look at the circumstances that are going on in the world today and your heart must break for the people that you see that are just hurting. There's just chaos everywhere. There's madness everywhere. There's people that are suffering and, and we intercede for them and we pray for them. And when we are in positions of being able to be useful and to do something, we lend a hand to those around us because we don't want to see humanity in the condition that it's in. But again, these are these are consequences that are brought about because we have failed to give the Lord God his just due. And these are the ramifications of choices that have been made down through the centuries. And we see it all unfolding before our eyes right now. But we see here that we can also hasten the Lord's coming through prayer. Even as Daniel asked for a speedily fulfillment of prophecy regarding captivity in Israel. In Daniel, in Daniel excuse me, chapter 9. We can and should also pray that he comes quickly. As we were praying this morning, um, and, and Daniel, our Daniel was, you know, prayed <laughs> basically the same thing, you know, asking the, the Lord, you know, come, Lord, come quickly. Lord, will you redeem your people? May we, may we, we long to see your face. We long to be with you. But we long for all of this pain and suffering to end. It's a difficult situation. There's a question that I, I need to ask this morning. What are you asking the Lord of today? What are you asking him for? Is it your will be done or is it his? You see, the application is this. Our strongest desire, church, should be for the Lord's perfect will to be completed. No matter if his plans cut short our own. 
You see, we are welcome to place our cares and our desires at his feet, but it is wise to commit them to him rather than make them an idol in our lives. You see what I'm saying? And and I'll share this with you because I went through this. It was like I was on the mountaintop last Sunday morning and, uh, you know, Sunday night. I got I got a I got a phone call about I don't know ten fifteen or something and you know my stepdad he rarely calls me and he rarely call he never calls me at night so I knew something was up and he called me and said Keefing I need you to come here now your mom fell in the kitchen trying to put away dishes and uh, she hurt her wrists really bad and so you know my first reaction obviously I'm like you know I, I'm not I don't want to hear that and I wasn't necessarily bummed out that I had to get up and go. But I was bummed out because I'm like, man, my mom got hurt. I know my mom's condition. And I'm like, man, that's not that's not a good thing. And so, you know, go through the whole situation, go pick her up. And, you know, she's she's just a mess. And, uh, you know, get her to the uh, I guess urgent care is not where it is anymore at Kaiser Santa Teresa. I think it's on sixth floor or they don't even use it. They just use emergency. So I take an emergency and they're like, you can't be here. <laughs> I'm like what? Can't be here. I brought my mask because I know that they're, you know, they're still not letting you in without a mask. But they said, oh, yeah, we take patients only. I said, man, this the woman is blind in one eye. She's an organ transplant recipient for 25 years. Her body is not that strong. I need to help her out. They said, I mean, I got to go. And, you know, I had to I had to honor what they said. But, you know, the reality was I came to a point during that whole ordeal where I had to admit to the Lord Lord, I'm weak. That's my mama. I'm weak. Lord, I'm not emotionally stable. You know, I see my mom messed up and it's like, man, I fall apart. I'm, I'm a softy, you know. My mama's boy. It's my mama. She's been through a lot. You know, I've seen her go through a lot. See, I had to take her to dialysis for two and a half years when I was 15 years old. They pumped the blood out of you, clean it, then pump it back in. It's one of the most excruciating things someone could ever go through. So if you're on borderline diabetes, get yourself under control because you don't want to be having to go through dialysis. That's crazy. And then after that, she had the organ and the kidney transplant up in UCSF, and that was crazy. And before that, she was a diabetic for a long time. I remember I was like five years old. I was still living in New York. We were still in New York. We, we, used, to, um, we used to do our laundry to laundromat somewhere in Staten Island. And I remember vividly my mom having a reaction, falling down on the ground, and I told the I told the, uh, the, 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 the fireman, she needs sugar. She needs a Snickers. I remember that. I remember that vividly. Those are, that's, one of the, well, that's one of the old memories I remember from being a little kid living in New York was, was my mom down and out in the laundromat, and the fire department came, and I had to tell them she needs sugar. She's diabetic. So, you know, I'm going through all this, and I'm sharing this because I, I, I'm telling you I'm weak. I'm weak as a person. And the Lord revealed to me that all I could do was commit her circumstances to him and trust that he will do what's best. And, 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 And that's where we find ourselves many times. We have to just give over things to the Lord and not allow our emotions to dictate the situation. We have to just trust and separate ourselves from the situation and say, Lord, your ways are best. You know best. I trust in you. You're the God of all creation. You have not brought me all this way just to dump me off. This is just another part of sanctification. This is part of learning 
to live by faith and not by sight. Amen. Amen. Then the angel, we're moving on in, in this text. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. As God's people pray for the resolution of all things, their prayers were touched by the fire from the altar in heaven and then thrown back down to the earth. All things will not be resolved on this earth until judgment comes. All that is going on in this world today will one day come to an end. And it's, it's, it's manic. It's crazy, right? It's madness what we see. And it's only going to get more maddening and more crazy. And that's the thing. You know, we have to learn to not necessarily have thick skin, but we need to have, learn to have thick faith in Jesus Christ. We can't have that flimsy, you know, crackerjack faith, man, you know, and fall apart when, when things get difficult. We got to dig in to the Lord. And that's one more thing that I forgot to mention. And I shared this with my mom during that time. I said, Mom, you need to praise God. You need to praise God in your storm. You need to praise God that he gave you 25 years after you had these organ transplants. He could have took you a long time ago. He's blessed you. You got to praise God that you didn't fall on your head and crack your head open. And we're not getting out of the emergency, but you're sitting up in the ICU hooked up to a machine. You need to praise God that you didn't fall on a sharp knife. You see, there's all kind of things that could have happened, but yet the Lord in his perfect will allowed the perfect instance for, the mo- for a difficult circumstance to come about. And I'm sure you guys all have testimonies of things that you've gone through or you've had loved ones gone, go through where it's like, man, the situation sucked, but it needed to happen. And, and the best thing in it is to praise God despite the circumstances because he's good. It's not his fault. He's not a bad God. These things just happen. But we still need to praise him all the more. Okay, back to what's going to happen when this prayer of fire is thrown to the earth. And when the prayers of God's people come back to earth, they will bring the groundswell of judgment, noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. This is very... Important, and I'll end with this. I was reminded by a sermon this morning that I heard that God's immediate judgments are the exception. His immediate judgments are the exception and not the rule. I say that because when Adam was confronted, confronted in the garden, that was an exception. When Cain was marked after he killed Abel, And was told if anyone kills him, it would be all bad for them. That was an exception. When Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead because they lied about how much that they really gave. That was an exception. You see, some people think that just because the Lord hasn't executed judgment yet. That their lives are okay and they're getting away with it. But you see, the Lord will always have the final word. This is very important. I don't want you to miss this. There are three types of judgment. The first judgment is internal judgment. This is when our conscience goes off. We know we're wrong. We don't feel good about it. We can't fix it. So we run to God and we confess and we get right. As the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. 
And when we're wrong with somebody, we get right with whoever we're wrong with. That's the internal judgment. The next type of judgment is the consequences for our actions. That's when you and I do whatever we do. We bypass the internal judgment and we say, oh, you know, it's not bothering me. But best be sure the Bible is clear. You will reap what you sow. I will reap what I sow. You can't get away from it. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap death and destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap life an abundant life. And the final judgment is God's eternal judgment. You see, God is not some bloodthirsty God who just sits up in heaven and says, oh, man, that person messed up. So now uh you're going to have that happen to you. Bad circumstances come about. No, the consequences come about because that's us. What we deserve because we sowed wrongly because we refused to listen to the internal judgment and get right with God. And so now consequences have to take place. You see, you want to be a wise person and go with the internal judgment so you don't have to suffer the consequences of wrong choices. You see, these exceptions that I just talked about, Cain talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Adam and Eve in the garden. These exceptions, exceptions to the rule of God's immediate judgment are supposed to drive us to an internal judgment. So we're those kind of Christians that are really thinking about what's going on and and making sure we're right. And that's the best judgment because you don't want to have to deal with the consequences all the time because you're making poor choices and wonder why your life's falling apart. And you don't want to have to wait until you're dead and face the final judgment and be like, man, I totally messed it up. I didn't even get it right at all. I had so many opportunities. I didn't get it right. She knows. The baby knows. Man, she's on point. She's on point. You see, this is a great gauge of, again, spiritual growth. How quick are we to internally judge our own actions and get right with God and get right with people. You see, the Bible is clear. If I judge myself, then I'm not going to be judged, (laughs) meaning by God, in the sense of I'm already getting right with him because I'm like, man, I screwed up. Lord, help me. (laughs) Forgive me. Help me to get right with whoever I need to get right with. But you see, when we're, when we're spiritually mature, we're going to be quick to do that. The quickness of how quick you're ready to get right with God and get right with others is a, very, is a very important gauge to gauge your spiritual maturity. If it's taking you years to make that phone call, write that letter, go see that person, then that's a sign that you're not spiritually mature. And that stuff just eats away and eats away. And I mean, it has physical ramifications, the stress, the torment that one goes through when we don't get right. Don't let your life get out of control when you must reap the consequences of unconfessed sin. And you see, this is what these judgments are about. This, these judgments are falling upon a world that continually said no. And now they've run out of time. And now they have to face it. And it's too late. It's just, it's just too late. God's patience will only endure for so long before he hands us over to what we desire. If we truly don't desire him, we're just going to get what we get here on this earth. It's also 
an encouragement for us today to continue to pray for people to come to Jesus Christ. We need to be praying for people all the time. As the worship team comes up, we need to pray for God's righteous judgment to fall upon this earth. And we must trust that the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to trust him with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, you are uh, you're perfect <laughs> in your ways and you're perfect in how you, you grow us and how you show us what is going on and, 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 and what we need to do. What, what is our part, Lord? There's a part for us to play in this, Lord. And may we be those that take the time and, and cultivate a very close-knit relationship with you. We end up on the best side of everything when we just are close to you, Lord. We all have desires and things that, you know, whatever we want to do and things we like in this world, Lord, but we need, may we be able to keep those in order, Lord, and may they not be at the top of the order. May they just be Lord willing, if it's your will. But Lord, give us a, a, a hunger and a thirst to see people saved. May you give us the, the, the hunger to love people truly and, and really want to get involved in people's lives. Lord, would you give us wisdom of how to do all these things? And may we be those that bring pleasure to you and put a smile on your face, Lord. May we be not those that you rebuke because you are disgusted with our service, Lord. We don't want that. We want to be those that are truly, um, you know, just in, in, in your right eye because of what your son Jesus Christ has done in our profession of faith and the fact that we are being obedient to the call upon our lives. So, Father, again, may you receive all honor, glory, and love. It's in Jesus Christ's wonderful name that we pray. Amen.